Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 66 of Crunch Time. I'm your host, Sam Gotzi, and with me today is Tanner Dislin, and we are the N326 duo. We had an action-packed weekend of football with upset galore in college football and a great week one of the NFL. We talked about this and so much more on episode 66 of Crunch Time. Terry is an action-packed week, a lot of upsets. I think that might have something to do with our winners. So, Tanner, let people know who are our winners today. It absolutely will have something to do with our winners, Sam. And let me tell you, this was the most dominant conference in college football this weekend. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, no, it's not the SEC. And no, it is not the Big Ten because this conference is the Sun Belt, man. I mean, a lot of good performances coming out of this conference, most notably three big-time upsets. Marshall taking down Notre Dame 26-21. Appalachian State taking down Texas A&M 17-14. And Georgia Southern taking down Nebraska 45-42. All three of these on the road against Power 5 opponent. Notre Dame technically independent, but loop them in with the, the, the Power 5 caliber program. All on the road, all against Power 5 caliber programs. It was awesome. It was a lot of fun to watch. Good storyline throughout the day. I mean, Appalachian State even got uh, got a little bit rowdy down in Boone, North Carolina, with that that great video of them running down the streets. But it's all it's what college football is all about. It's what college sports are all about. A lot of money getting paid to these schools to just get beat. Yeah, it it was crazy. Obviously, one of the losers could definitely be Scott Frost. Got. And after uh, losing to Georgia Southern, giving up over 600 yards. But we're going to go a slightly another loser of our is the weakest division in the NFL. And that is the AFC South. Absolutely abysmal performances by teams across the board in this division. I mean, four teams. All winless when two of them played each other is remarkable feat. Um, Jacksonville might have honestly looked the best out of all of them, and they lost to Washington. Like, I, it was just incredibly poor from the AFC South. It takes a lot, I tell you. It, you know it's bad because it takes a lot for for two Iowa grads to not make Scott Frost <laughs> the loser of the episode. After Georgia Southern is all teams to drive the nail in the coffin for Scott Frost. By the way, Sam, got to give you props. You said by the time Nebraska played Iowa, Scott Frost would not be the head coach. I mean, he didn't even make it. I guess he did make it to a Big Ten game because they played in Week Zero. But in a normal schedule, he wouldn't have even made it to a Big Ten a, a Big Ten game. So uh, definitely give you props there. But pick yeah. your poison, I guess that's the moral of the story. Yeah, pick your poison, Scott Frost and South. <laughs> Whatever you see fit, both losers. Yeah, definitely just absolutely abysmal um, by both of them. Definitely uh, worthy of our losers. But with Nebraska getting upset, we're going to go down back to Saturday and cover some of these college football games. Tear, we had high praise from one of these teams last week. In this battle, it was Kentucky versus Florida. Florida coming off that huge win against Utah last week. Let me let the listeners know what happened in this one, man. Yeah, I mean, we were looking for an encore from Anthony Richardson, and he just he just didn't have it in him, and and that was kind of the story of this game. Kentucky traveled to Gainesville, and that that was it. Anthony Richardson wasn't Anthony Richardson. He was fourteen for thirty five. 14 for 35, 143 yards and two interceptions. It's very hard to jumpstart your offense when your quarterback is playing like that. Uh, not a ton in the run game. I mean, two different um, running backs in uh, Johnson and Etienne. I mean, they combined for a little over 100 yards, which is you know not bad per se. But again, nothing going through the air. Got to give credit to, uh, to uh, Mark Stoops. And then in that Kentucky Wildcats defense because they showed up again. Like I said, two picks, one went back for six going the other way. 
it was a big, big momentum shift in that game was that pick six. It was pretty close at that moment. So uh, I, I got to give all the credit in the world to that Kentucky defense, but Anthony Richardson did not look like himself. And you can kind of see what's going to make this Florida offense go is, is on the backs of number 15. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I got to give you props, Tang. You were afraid that Florida was going to have that hangover effect last week. And, it sure looked like it to, on Saturday. But let's talk about this game. Who we, before last week's show, we were talking about, should we even pick this game? We ended up not picking it. And honestly, it was probably one of the better games of the entire weekend. And that is Alabama, Texas. Let the people know how it went down there. Um, I'm telling you, it, it went down probably different than you thought it would. I mean, Texas was unranked going in and they are ranked 21 going out. So that should tell you a lot of how Texas played in this game. Final score, as you said, Sam, 20 to 19 in favor of Alabama, but it was a tight, tight game. I think Alabama kicked a field goal with 30 seconds or so left to take that lead. Uh, Alabama did not look like Alabama again, kind of a similar situation to to Florida where you just got to give credit to Texas defense they really showed up made Bryce Young of course the the defending Heisman Trophy winner very uncomfortable only threw for 213 yards um, which is not Bryce Young uh, level of production but uh, Alabama still kind of got theirs on the ground which is kind of where they won this game Jason McClellan their running back went for 97 yards on the ground only carrying the ball six times so uh a lot of yards on the ground for him, and that, that's what kind of got this offense going because, like I said, not much for Bryce Young. Texas was swarming. However, the big news about this, of course, was the injury to Quinn Ewers, who went out in the first half. Uh, Texas was in the red zone, actually. Their offense was looking quite good under Quinn Ewers so far this year and in this game. So that definitely hurt a, a lot and uh, hard to – you know, it's hard to play that game in sports of where if he didn't get hurt, they would have won. But it sure felt like this game would have gone differently. And I also got to give props to Hudson Card, who came in, uh, played pretty well, honestly, did enough to, enough to win. Also himself got hurt. He was visibly limping on the field. But when you're depleted a quarterback, he kind of uh, nutted up and, ha- and did what he had to do. So big props to him. But I gained a lot of respect for Texas after watching this game, even though they lost yeah, no, for sure. I thought once Quinn Ewers went down, I thought his game over. Card came in, uh, did about what Texas could ask of him. Um, I mean, he wasn't playing uh, terrible defense. He was playing Alabama, Nick Saban, Alabama, uh, who year in, year out's one of the best defenses. Um, so, yeah, props to Card for coming in and performing well. But yeah, just coming up a little short tenor. I have a question for you, though. Let's Is Texas back after this competitive game with Alabama? Boy, let me tell you what. It all rests on the health of Quinn Ewers. Right now, I'm going to hes- hesitate to say so. I mean, isn't he out for – I think his his uh, the prognosis has already been um, – released i want to say it's a couple months i i will double check that now but yeah. it, all, it all rests on that i mean while well like i said hudson card did look decent um th- this 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 offense is going to run uh, on the back of quinn Ewers, and and if he's out for a while i don't think they're back but it's very promising and yeah. when he gets healthy they are they look like a damn good team yeah multiple it's a promising week. multiple, multiple weeks, weeks. Yeah, it'll be definitely interesting uh, to see Four to, six weeks to see uh, where um, if Quinn Ewers returns and how he looks uh, coming back. But that's got to give Texas a bunch of confidence going in uh, against Alabama. In, for, well, it was at home, but playing Alabama as close as they did without their starting quarterback. Yeah, you got it. You got to feel good going into the SEC play in a, in a year. I believe. Yeah, I know. And, and, and even uh, even before that, I mean, look at the outlook of the Big 12 this year. This was a conference that both of us had said, we're not really sure who's the best team here. Um, it's it's kind of a weak all around conference. You have a depleted Oklahoma who lost both their quarterbacks, lost their head coach. Yeah, they brought in 
Brent Venables, you know, a known winner when he was at Clemson, they looked pretty good to start the year, but still kind of not as not as strong as you'd expect an Oklahoma team to be. I mean, Baylor was the highest ranked team going in. They lost last week on the road at BYU, so they've already got a loss on on their uh, on their record. You've got I think Oklahoma State's looking pretty good. I think they're top fifteen right now, uh, but you know, it, it, there's not a, there's not just a team who's who's grabbed the Big Twelve and saying yeah. You know that they're this is mine. Like, yeah, this this is mine to lose. So, uh, te- you know, Texas again resting on the health of of Quinn Ewers could can easily make a run at the at the Big Twelve championship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then finally, the game we both don't want to talk about, but as Iowa fans, I think it's necessary, and that is the Iowa Iowa State game, the Cyhawk game. Iowa State inches out a victory at Kinnick Stadium for the first time in eight years. Tanner, first thoughts on this one? Oh, boy. The thing about this one is that there are too many thoughts that I have (laughs) to be able to spit out a coherent first thought. I mean, it's got to start with the, the national story about Iowa right now for a Big Ten program, one that's, you know, made... How many straight bowl games? You know, one. Yeah. yeah. This is this is a, you know, it's not a blue blood, but it is a it is a good football program to have the division one's worst offense in historic fashion week after week. I mean, we were talking about how bad the offense was last week against South Dakota State. Well, it turns out when you play an FBS team. It looks even worse, and that's exactly what happened. Only 150 total yards coming for Iowa. I mean, Spencer Petras, just more abysmal quarterback play, missing wide-open wide receivers, seemingly lost under center, uh, making dumb decisions that threw a really bad interception at the end of the first half, one that was not open, no reason it should have been thrown Luckily, uh, Iowa State and Hunter Deckers gave the ball right back. But still, <laughs> I mean, it, it was just the ugliest offensive game I had ever seen. I think this was the second, the second lowest yardage total under Brian Ferentz as as the offensive coordinator. Number one was the game in Wisconsin after Iowa had beat the living crap out of Ohio State. So. I mean, it's an all-time bad performance once again for an all-time bad offense, and now, now we play the blame game, right? We we, we got to play the blame game. So I want to ask you, Sam, where's the blame go? Who who who? What share of the blame goes where? Yeah, it it's uh, it's almost comedy watching this. No, it's not almost. It is, it is comical dude, it is, watching it is this a offense. Shakespearean comedy and tragedy all at the same time. It's, watching this um, offense play football. The I think everybody except Phil Parker and Lavar Woods is to blame for this crap show the Iowa Hawkeyes have put on. Um, listen, I know Petrus has gained a lot of hate lately, and deservingly so. But at some point. You can't just blame the player. You got to play, blame the system and the system that is of that is run by Brian Ferentz. I think Brian is kind of getting the light punches and Petrus is kind of defending him from the bully, honestly. Uh, Brian Ferentz, we've seen this year in, year out, but the one thing we don't have this year that we've had in the past is a consistent running game that bails out the poor quarterback play. Let's just call it how it is. I mean, I I seriously don't know where this goes from here. And let let's set this straight. Iowa State is not a good football team this year. What well, makes it so much? It would have been one thing if we looked like ass and they just came in and they just pounded us. And we're like, damn. Yeah, they did everything in their power to give the game back to us. Three turnovers, two in the red zone. One after a bad Petrus turnover, the one I mentioned, where they could have grabbed all momentum by the horns, gave it right back. They did everything they possibly could. A dumb rough uh, delay, uh, not delay, a personal foul, unnecessary roughness call that even gave Iowa a chance to attempt a game time. Uh-huh. 
literally everything to give the game. And Iowa's offense is just that bad where no matter what Iowa State did, we still couldn't win this game. Yeah, I mean, Tara, I want to get your thoughts on this. So we block a punt, I believe, in the early in the game. Peters gets a ball that abysmal offense actually scores a touchdown. We see the six num the number six on the scoreboard. What 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 was it, were you thinking in that moment? Um, first off, relief it, it happened. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't going to be a full on skunk, which looked very possible after the first game, but um. I was impressed. The offensive line got movement, as you said. It was back-to-back runs. There was there was room to run. You know, the offensive line was moving bodies. So I was thought, okay. I still didn't believe in Petrus in the passing game, but I thought, okay, maybe the offensive line is back to where it needs to be. Petrus will have more time to throw. That running game will get going, and that is going to be what Iowa, you know, predicates its offense on. And it was just, it just didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It was downright abysmal. Um, and those who say, I don't know who's saying it, but I'm sure they're out there blaming the defense for giving up 300-some yards. Um, how about uh, the offense go more than three and out? Maybe maybe our defense, if they get some rest, doesn't give up 300. Maybe that's the problem. All the blame goes on this pitiful offense. And what frustrates me most is in the press conference today with Kirk Fairns. He goes, Petrus will be starting against Nevada this weekend. And someone with the Des Moines Register, Chad L., I don't know how to say his last name, asked, is that the common theme amongst coaches? The, do other coaches believe um, Petra should be starting? And he goes, I cannot comment on that. So, yeah, I mean, how could you not, right? You got two units playing exceptional football. You got one unit playing. Again, I can't stress this enough. This is not just bad. This is historically bad, not just Iowa historically bad. This is FBS college football historically bad. And it, it just shouldn't come from a Power 5 Big Ten program. He's yeah. losing fans. He's losing the locker room. I mean, you got guys who are risking their health day in and day out to go play this game, and you're getting, you're being rewarded by getting a, a coaching staff who's making ridiculous decisions that are not putting your team in a scenario to win. It is absurd. It is not fair to any of the players, and it's certainly not fair to Spencer Petras. This is his 20 – he has had 20-plus starts in the Big Ten. This dude is who he is. You're not learning anything new from him. He has started 20-plus games. How and how have you not seen enough to, to fair him fair, assess him fairly? Well, that is yeah. a statement that Kirk said. We haven't seen enough to assess him fairly. What do you mean? He has started 20-plus games and has sucked in every single one of them. It's because he plays well in practice, Tanner. Oh, Come on now. Right, because everyone knows practice wins games. Fans want to watch practice. It's absurd. And it, it's it, it. what looks particularly bad is that Obviously, this coaching staff is trying to stick to its guns, go with the guy they originally thought. It just looks like they care more about being right than oh, they do yeah. about... Stubborn. Yeah, stubborn, so right? stubborn. They care more about being right than they do about putting the best team forward. And I think that is... All, this this weekend is cl a crystal clear indication of that, where Nevada is easily the worst team on Iowa's schedule. Um they they had 55 hung on them by incarnate word a, a division 2 school and what's best case scenario obviously petrus comes in iowa scores you know 35 points petrus throws for two or three touchdowns and the fan base believes again and 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 they get the the coaching staff gets to believe saying they're right that their inclination was right that he does have this kind of game in him and that's the, that's the goal. That's the goal from this coaching staff the entire way. Instead of having a, you know, you have a 
Alex Padilla, a more mobile uh, quarterback who, I mean, won Big Ten games last year. Get him <laughs> playing a team who got 55 dropped on them by a Division II school. Get him in rhythm. Get him almost like a, almost like a practice but not a practice, obviously, in a game to work things out, get familiar with his offense. And then you start Big Ten play with a quarterback who doesn't have a 3.4 QBR to start, but has, also has a game under his belt in a low leverage game to kind of work that rust off with this offense, with his weapons that that, that are on the team this year. And, and that makes the most sense to me. But no, of course, the coaching staff needs to be right. And that's that's why we're in the situation we are. Yeah. And it it just makes me wonder what what does B just have on the parents? No, dude, he has some sick blackmail. <laughs> dude, don't ever say anything bad about Petrus. It has all the blackmail apparently. <laughs> but I, I think one person put it put it well on Twitter, and I do want to read this. It was from a tweet from John D. Miller. Um, so I thought this was very well put. He said, as the years roll on, Kirk has become more and more offensively ossified, while the trajectory of, of the offense has gone in the exact opposite way. Even with a perennial elite defense, it's not enough. What, what we are seeing to start 2022 is not just not enough, it's insulting. And I really like that word insulting because <laughs> it's what it is. He, he just doesn't care about his team and, and the fans, and it, it is insulting. This is not the game has passed Kirk thread. What we are seeing is worse than that, in my opinion. It's someone that has become contractually and institutionally bulletproof, and he knows it, and feels that he is ahead of the game before it begins with the defense he always has. And I think that is spot on. When he starts a game, he feels like he has a 17-0 lead because his defense is always that good. And the the attitude to the offense reflects that. Yeah, I do. I I couldn't have put it better myself. It'll be interesting to see how things go this weekend if we struggle again, which I think we will. Um, but you know what I mentioned about that plan of get you know getting Petrus some some playing time against a inferior opponent. There's another side to that coin. I mean, if he struggles again, which it's likely he is because he literally cannot throw a football when when he struggles again there's absolutely no possible way you can defend him any longer if he's struggling against Nevada again mm-hmm. which I'll say for a third time got 55 points dropped on them by a division 2 school so i don't know what it is um it's it's ugly it's embarrassing to be associated in fans of them right now. it's embarrassing to wear an Iowa sweatshirt right now uh it, it's a national story of how bad this coach or this team is and it'd be one thing if it was just a talent issue but it's a coaching issue the people at the top are making the wrong decisions they're making embarrassing decisions and they're doing so without a care in the world and seemingly not caring about anything the fans anything about the the actual players want and it's disturbing it's embarrassing it's insulting and i i don't even know what more to say about it yeah uh, and i think that is a perfect way to wrap our nca football talk up we'll be heading to a quick advertisement from our sponsor at anchor we will be back with some NFL talk in a new segment we introduce, as well as the famous Pick'em. So stay tuned for that. And welcome back from that quick ad. Thank you so much, Anchor, for sponsoring this episode of Crunch Time with the N326 duo. It was week one of the NFL, and of course, it did not disappoint, or some might say it did. We kicked off on Thursday night with a battle between the Buffalo Bills and the Los Angeles Rams. Tanner, let the people know what happened in this one. I tell you, this was obviously a a very anticipated game between the Bills and Rams, defending champs, Super Bowl favorites. And this is kind of the ones that disappointed, man. The Bills looked Every bit as advertised. 
We knew what was going to happen with that offense. Josh Allen quickly asserting himself as one of the best talents at the quarterback position. He showed out 297 passing yards, 26 for 31, three touchdowns, did have two picks. Some of them weren't his fault. At least one of them wasn't his fault. So not going to hold him, um, hold those against him. But his ability on the ground, 56 rushing yards. Stephon Diggs, I mean, top five wide receiver, eight catches, 122 yards, and a touchdown. However, the story was not the Bills' offense. They looked awesome. We knew they were going to look awesome. For me, it was the Bills' defense because, I mean, the Rams were the number one passing attack last year. Cooper Cup, obviously, as we all know, got whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And that kind of happened today. I mean, or today that kind of happened in that game for when he had 13 catches for 128 yards and a touchdown but that was it cooper cup got his and no one else did matt stafford was uncomfortable von miller looked like prime von miller just living in the backfield against his former team stafford threw for three picks or threw three picks it was 29 for 41 only 240 yards he just didn't look like matt stafford of last year we know something's going on with that shoulder. Could that have been a part of it? I don't know. But the Bills defense looked like the key piece to a Super Bowl winning team. Again, we knew that offense was going to be awesome. All the weapons, Josh Allen, we knew it. The defense looked so damn good against a really talented offense. And that's what's scary. Yeah, I mean, you said it. Bills offense, Bills defense. of Rams. They they need to figure something out and something fast. Matthew Stafford looked abysmal. Three interceptions. Like you said, Cooper Cup got his. I expect a lot better debut for Allen Robinson. Had one reception. Nowhere to be found. But just absolute domination uh, by the Buffalo Bills in this one. And I think we'll see a lot more of that from the Bills throughout the season. But the next game we are going to talk about is the Vikings versus the Packers. The Vikings took care of business against the Packers 23-7. to Tanner, you're the Vikings fan here. What were your thoughts on this one? Um, I tell you what, it was a very fun. It was a very fun time. It was, it was very enjoyable to watch and – this game was filled with question marks coming in. All right, you got you got the one team who lost so many one possession games, got rid of a a a dinosaur of a regime, brought in a new young McVay esque uh, offense, and it was what we were wondering: how is it going to translate? And it looked damn good. I mean, Kirk Cousins threw for two seventy seven and two touchdowns, but of course, the star of the day, Justin Jefferson. I mentioned. He is he is just the he is so good. I I I can't even put into words exactly how much I love Justin Jefferson. I love that he's a Viking. He went nine receptions, 184 yards, and two touchdowns. He was open all game long because he is that dude. So the offense passed with flying colors. We, weird things happen when you put your best player in motion and you have a relationship with your quarterback and you care about putting your best offensive players in scenarios for them to succeed. And believe it or not, when you have good offensive weapons and you do that, the offense looks good. So that's my thing is that what, what, a, what a revelation for Vikings fans. But I think the, the real reason, again, to be excited if you were a Viking fan, Vikings fan is how good that defense played. I mean, limited Aaron Rodgers to only 195 yards passing and an interception. Uh, they got great pressure all game long. I know uh, the Packers were, were without Bakhtiari and Jenkins, their best, I mean, their two best linemen and their tackles. But uh, still, it was, it was a, a pass rush last year that got next to no pressure. Cover, cover, people were wide open because the secondary just couldn't guard people for that long. So getting good pressure on Rodgers, making him uncomfortable. The secondary played very well. Uh, they gave up some yards on the ground, but that is a that is a philosophy that the Vikings said they were okay with coming into the year that they were going to sacrifice giving up yards on the ground for limiting stuff through the air, and it certainly worked today. Of course, the tone was set early 
when uh, Christian Watson dropped a sure thing, a sure <laughs> thing, 75 yard touchdown, absolutely smoked Patrick Peterson. His age was showing on that play. But I mean, from then on, it's just, it was clear. Rogers did not trust his receivers. Uh, his, I mean, receivers, I mean, Romeo Dobbs was their uh, leading receiver or leading had the most, Reception yards as a receiver, I should say. Uh, he only had 37. I mean, their leading receiver was A.J. Dillon, of course, their running back. So clear, clear thing that Rodgers just didn't trust his his receivers in this game. And that was the that was the big thing because Minnesota could just focusing on limiting, limiting the pass yards to the running backs. And that's exactly what happened. But the score is slightly misleading. As I said, um, Christian Watson dropping a touchdown, then uh, the Green Bay was stuffed on the one when they tried to give it to A.J. Dillon to get in the end zone. And then another fourth down within the red zone where uh, the Vikings defense stood pat. So uh, definitely a lot to be excited for if you were a Vikings fan. Uh, Green Bay, the offense looked a little rough. Defense looked good. Um, but definitely, definitely too early to panic for your Green Bay. But you're a Minnesota fan. There is a lot to like. Yeah, I mean – it's like Green Bay should have gotten Rodgers some receivers or something. That That's too. crazy. That too. Yeah, that too. I will say uh, Lazard was hurt, so he might have helped a little bit, but you're right. This this Minnesota defense looked great, put a lot – Aaron Rodgers had little to no time, got sacked four times, had a QBR of 16.1. Um, just a tough – Tough day, yeah. To against Rodgers, yeah, yeah. But prop, props to Minnesota uh, taking care of their rival, the Green Bay Packers. Next game, the Sunday night game, one that I was personally looking forward to, and I think a lot of other people were looking forward to, as the Bucks took on the Cowboys, and the Bucks ended up winning Tanner what were your thoughts on this one I tell you what man I think I think for the second time in this podcast I'm going to play the reverse card and throw it back to to the Cowboys fan of the podcast and kind of tell me what you're thinking uh based on this game how the offense looked and, and what the outlook is because uh some bad news came right after right after the game had finished so I, I'm I'm again reverse card tell me what yeah. you're thinking yeah, um, tough, tough loss. Uh, not that so. First half, I was like, okay, that can't hit a pond with a rock, it was that bad. Um, had tunnel vision on Dalton Schultz and C. Lamb. C. D. Lamb was playing terrible, couldn't catch balls that were, it was just embarrassing. Um, so both of my favorite teams have an anemic offense, so that's fun. Um, and then we we saw the inevitable happen, just a freak injury with Dak Prescott out four to six weeks. And the Cowboys do not have a very easy schedule uh, coming into the season. They got the Bengals um, next Sunday, and they have – the Giants and the Eagles, and then they play the Rams. So tough couple weeks. We're going to see uh, Cooper Rush didn't look great in that one, um, but not not a great start uh, for my tenure as a Cowboys fan. Um, but not much, not much else to add. I mean, Brady did great things. Got that other weapon in Julio Jones, Mike Evans, a good receiving core there. And then Leonard Fournette. I mean, that dude's just a beast who could break out anything at any time. But not much else to add. Kind of expected how I ex- how I expected it to go down uh, once Dak uh, went down. Yeah, I tell you what, though, I might have a little bit of a spin zone, spin zone, something to look forward to at least, or or a bright spot. I mean, Cowboys defense, right? Only giving up oh nineteen points, uh, one touchdown. It was four field goals and a touchdown. Really, really uh, stout in the red zone. 
That's winning football, right? Not allowing your opponents to score touchdowns will win you a lot of games. Uh, the unfortunate thing, obviously, bullet point two, as you said, kind of the lack of weapons really showed, which is weird, right? It's weird to think about the lack of weapons with Dallas, but trading Amari Cooper is going to hurt more than I think the average person yeah. thought. Um, also, again, injuries to Michael Gallup uh, and yeah, Washington Michael. also were yeah. out. Those were yeah. our wide receiver, too, and three, I believe, Michael last Gallup year. Gallup being out is, is a big one. So it, it'll probably get better when, when he gets back. But again, like you said, C.D. Lamb and Dalton Schultz were kind of the headliners of this offense heading into this week. C.D. Lamb, two catches for 29 yards, like was just nowhere. Um, and defenses didn't really have to respect anyone else. So he was blanketed all game long. And, of course, the injury to Prescott. Uh, it's a hand injury, which is not good at all. Um, not that it really any injury is good, but sp- specifically on the hand is a little bit tough on your throwing hand. Um couple months and just kind of treading water with him yeah. out because the good news is is that your your division is not the strongest you did <laughs> mention the the difficult uh difficult schedule which really hurts uh the question is is he going to be uh back in time for that vikings game because if he isn't i then, hope not yeah if he isn't then you got a free win <laughs> with uh with cowboys backups versus the the vikings but still um it's 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 definitely panic time if you're a Cowboys fan, just simply based on the health of your quarterback. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I wonder if they dive into that free agency, um, looking at there's some names out there that could be a place filler till then, but we will see. But, I mean, I know we weren't planning on talking about this game because, honestly, we didn't think this was going to be a game at all. And that is last night, the return of Russell Wilson to Seattle. He was met with some cheers and mainly boos. And then Geno Smith. Geno Smith played a game. What what happened, Tanner? I mean, Geno Smith looked like his himself at West Virginia, just an absolute stud, played really well. Better than I think anybody could have expected. Russ Wilson didn't really show a whole lot. And then it obviously came down to that 64-yarder. But what were your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I got a few here. I guess, you know, first off would be Geno Smith impressed, right? He he definitely looked better than than we thought he would. Um so all the props to Geno Smith, man. That was awesome. Good to see him. A perennial backup, not really having success with the Jets, then tried to go to the Giant. Like it was good to see him have some success and and look like a starting quarterback. Um, number two is definitely gonna be the Seahawks defense. Um again, a similar situation to the Cowboys against Broncos. I mean, well, the 16 points were uh what were they? I'm trying to try to remember how many field goals. Three field goals in a touchdown, I think was was it. So yeah, I mean, it very easily could have been four touchdowns. And not only did they limit to field goals, but they also caused two red zone turnovers. So that's even more red zone trips that did not result in a touchdown. So a real nice job from the Seahawks defense. Again, red zone defense is so important. Limit those touchdowns, and that's exactly what the Seahawks did. Um, and that was kind of the difference. Number three is, uh, you know, it's definitely too early to get on him too hard. This was his first ever game as an NFL head coach, but Nathaniel Hackett, the former Packers offensive coordinator, now the Broncos head coach, it was a tough audition, uh, or first go round as an NFL head coach. The, the clock management was, I mean, let's call it what it was. It was awful. (laughs) It was within, so within bad. And the and, and then two minutes, not calling a timeout, lining everybody up, seeming to hard count for some reason, then calling a timeout with no time on the on the play clock, sending out your your uh, kicker for a 64-yarder, which he didn't miss by much. I actually thought it was going in for a long time. But still, it was a it was a brutal showing from Nathaniel Hackett in terms of time management within the final two minutes. 
Again, not a scenario where you need to panic if you're a Broncos fan, but it sure felt like you should have had this one. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Geno Smith, longtime perennial backup, and he looked like he belonged. 23 completions, 28 yards, or 28 attempts, 195 yards, two touchdowns. Absolute stud. And then to, did you see his quote, Tanner? I did. His quote was legendary. Basically, if y'all didn't see it, go look it up. Um, but basically, the reporter asked after a game, what What do you say about everyone that wrote you off? And Gito Smith, with perhaps a quote of the season so far, definitely so far, could be all season. They wrote me off. I ain't right back, though. Absolutely a legendary quote. I, I've always liked Geno Smith since his West Virginia days. It was so it, fun to watch at West Virginia. Oh. It's good, it good to see him back in the NFL, getting valuable time and kind of showing out against his, uh, a guy who's mentored him for years. Yeah. Years. And I mean, why the. There's, there's no pressure. I mean, your team's expectations are in the dirt. You know, you just traded your franchise quarterback. Just go out and play the game. And that's exactly what he did. And as you said, man, so good to see. Couldn't be happier for Mr. Smith. Yeah, absolutely. But that kind of wraps it up for the NFL talk. Of course, we'll be back with some more NCAA football and NFL talk. But we want to introduce a new segment. I don't know if you all remember this, but um, the college football scoreboard or college game day would give out stickers for kind of the best player. So we kind of did that. and. We're going to highlight our NCAA football and uh, player of the week and the NFL player of the week. We're going to kick off with the NCAA football player of the week, and that is the running back of the Arkansas Razorbacks against the South Carolina Gamecocks. Had himself a day. Raheem Sanders, 24 attempts, 156 yards, 6.5 average per carry and two touchdowns, helping the Hogs defeat the South Carolina Gamecocks. Tanner, who is our NFL Player of the Week? Yeah, man, I I don't think this should be any surprise to any of our listeners who know me. I got my mini helmet here to put on my helmet sticker, as they used to do on college game day, or, or no, college scoreboard or whatever show it was. <laughs> but it is absolutely... Justin Jefferson. This dude was on another level this weekend. I mentioned his stat line earlier today. I will just mention it one more time. I mean, he caught nine passes for 184 yards and two touchdowns. And keep in mind, this is against the Green Bay Packers and uh, with Jair Alexander, with Eric Stokes, with Rasul Douglas. I mean, this is a as deep a secondary as it gets. And frankly, easily a top three defense in terms of talent. Uh, this year in the NFL, and he made him just look silly. He was always open, going for 184 and two touchdowns. That is very difficult to do against anybody, let alone a divisional opponent, let alone one with a defense as good as the Packers. So, Justin Jefferson, you get the helmet sticker, and what a way to kick off the Kevin O'Connell era. Yeah, absolutely. Justin Jefferson uh, had himself a day against the Packers. But let us know what you think. Uh, who were your college football and NFL player of the week? Let us know on Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter at Crunchime underscore pod. But to wrap up this episode, we are going to go into Pick'em. A little record update for you. Sam, or myself, is four, <laughs> four and five overall was one win away from a or one loss away from a winless week. So, and it was Iowa State. So that is a tough look for me. Tanner is sitting at six and three, went three and three last week. Let's see if we can improve those records this week. Kick it off with some NCAA football. We got number 12 BYU versus number 25 Oregon. Oregon is actually favored in this one by minus three and a half. Tanner, who you got? 
This is an interesting week for, for BYU. I mean, coming off a big win against Baylor in overtime at home again. We saw this effect in play in Gainesville. Hangovers are a real thing, especially in college football. I think it being in Eugene is going to throw BYU for a loop a little bit. I'm going with the Ducks. I think they bounce back. I think Bo Nix bounce back, has a big game against the Cougars, and I've got Oregon winning at home. Yeah, that that's a good pick, but I'm going the different route. I, I think BYU, I know I said this last week about Oregon or uh Florida, excuse me, but I think BYU is just different. I think I think BYU inches this one out. I expect a close game. They've proven themselves playing in close games against tough opponents. I got the Cougars in this one. Moving on, we have number 13, Miami, taking on the 24th-ranked Texas A&M, who came off a tough loss last weekend. Tanner, who you got here? Again, a a weird week for Texas A&M coming off of that loss to Appalachian State. This is, I think, the toughest game to choose for me uh, on this this week's slate. Um, But with that, I'm just going to go with the team that, I think is has the most talent and that's Texas A&M again at home doesn't hurt being in college station, but uh, uh, I just lost his name. Their coach Jimbo Uh, Jimbo Fisher Jimbo Fisher will have the squad ready to play. That's all they've been thinking about all week is, is that loss to Appalachian state and what better way to, to get the, the, the college football world to forget about that bad loss by getting a good quality win against 13th ranked Miami at home. So I got AM here bounce back in. Yep. I, I also have AM here. I think for all the reasons you said, I think Texas A&M was downright embarrassed last week. Ha- haven't performed to their, I hate to say this word, but their potential coming into the season. They, they need a win and they need it bad. Winning against Miami would be a statement win for them. So I got A&M. I think they get it done. I think that uh, 12th man crowd will help them a lot in this one. So I got A&M switching over to some NFL ball Thursday night. Great game we got here. Chargers versus Chiefs. Chiefs are favored by four. Tear, who you got here? Oh, this is this is a good one. And I said AM in, in Miami might be my tough was my toughest one, but this is certainly giving it a run for its money. The, the whole, you know, all the storylines about how damn good the Chargers are going to be this year, how good the Chargers are going to be. And they're going to be really damn good, right? All those weapons. Keenan Allen might have a lingering injury. So his health is definitely key to this game. But I think we all jumped on the Chargers so quickly that we forgot about one man. We forgot about his Kermit the Frog voice. We forgot about his annoying brother, and that is Patrick Mahomes. And he showed us in week one just why we can't forget about him. I'm not betting against him at home, especially after the week he had last week. I think this matchup might go the other way when they go to L.A., but again, in Kansas City, not in a dome at night on a Thursday night. And, and that the chiefs kingdom is going to show out for another statement game, telling the AFC West, we are still here and we still run this division. Chiefs will win this game at home. Yeah, I, I agree. I hate to agree with you again, but golly, Mahomes definitely made a statement last week. He does not need Tyree kill to look good. He had a lot of help from Travis Kelsey. Kelsey and him, their connection is incredible. But, oh, my God. I I mean, I kind of forgot about Mahomes. I'm not going to lie. I, I was we thinking Herbert. I was thinking Allen. And then Mahomes just like, hey, um, I, I'm still here. And he, I think, I think this is. We're still here. The, the Tom Brady quote. Yeah. yeah. No, that's... And. I think this is just another opportunity for Andy Reid and the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes to make another statement win and thus proving once again they are not to be looked over this season. I got the Chiefs in this one. Next up, we have 
Dolphins versus Ravens. This is an interesting one. Ravens are favored by three and a half. Tanner, who you got here? Tell you what, this is another interesting one. And again, it, it is a very difficult environment to play in. Um, I still, I, I just don't know if I trust Tua enough to go into Baltimore and get the win. I, I, I just don't. I'm going to bet on the better quarterback in week one. I mean, it, it was against the Jets. Their defense is improved, but, uh, you know, he, he didn't beat them with his legs. He, he, he was slinging the ball around and, and that's always been the knock on Lamar. And if he gets more comfortable with that, Lord knows where he can go. So I'm going to go with, again, the more proven quarterback, the one who looks more comfortable at the moment throwing the ball. And that is Lamar. So I've got the Ravens here. Yeah, this is an interesting one. The I thought Lamar Jackson would struggle, uh, especially not throwing throwing the ball. You said it has always been a knock on him. I want to see how consistent this Raven receiving core is without Hollywood Brown, and I think. I think this uh, Dolphins offense, that connection between Tua and Tyreek Hill is just going to keep getting better and better. I got the Dolphins slightly winning this one, so I have the Dolphins. And then wrapping up, last pick them, Vikings versus Eagles. Eagles are favored by two and a half. Tear, who do you have? I've been waiting all day for a Monday night, Sam. And that's going to be my... Definitely my attitude on Monday coming off of the Vikings victory against the Packers and looking so good in doing so. But this team, man, I, I am already falling in love partially because my other team is just so hideous, hideously ugly right now that I can't stand to watch them. So I'm all in on the Vikings. Uh, I think the the Eagles defense definitely showed that they had major holes, giving up 35 points to the Lions, and I think, again, a Kevin O'Connell system with Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and Dalvin Cook. And, I mean, Thielen and Cook really didn't play all that well against Green Bay. He just They just didn't need to because Jefferson was open so often. If Philly is going to dedicate themselves to stopping Jefferson, it's going to open up more for Cook and Thielen. I think this offense right now, is it, it's just got so many weapons. And, again, with, with, a, with a pretty porous Philly defense, the way it looked against – Detroit, I'm going with my guys, baby. I think they get it done again on the road. Start this thing off hot. Start off 2-0. Kevin O'Connell era is off to a raging hot start. Uh, I mean, I'm shocked that know you, you went with your Vikings. Of course I am not going with the Vikings. I think the Eagles, uh, like you said, struggled. I think, I think that was a wake-up call that Eagles needed. Only beating the Lions by three, that is tough. It'll be interesting how they contain um, Justin Jefferson. Hopefully, they take notes of what not to do from the Packers. I think Jalen Hurts uh, is going to have himself a day. I got the Eagles in this one. But with that, that will wrap it up for episode 66 of Crunch Time with the N326 duo. Congrats, you have made it to the end of the episode, so shout out to you. Let us know who your players of the weeks were. Meanwhile, you can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at crunchtime underscore pod. But with that, the clock has run out on this episode, but we'll see you on the next one on Crunch Time.